We're blessed to be uh, alive and breathing. And so uh, I, I have much, and so do each one of us have much to be thankful for. Much to be thankful for. Amen? I want to share something with you uh, before we get into our scripture text this morning. Um, I, I think it's uh, just something that, that I think we need to, to think about as a body of believers and, and as Christians and what, what our paradigm should be. The word paradigm is a fancy word for a system of belief. And what, what colors your belief system? What influences you to think the way you think? And what I would tell you that as a born-again believer, the Holy Scripture, God's Word, should be the predominant thing that shapes our way of thinking. Because we've been called to be followers of Christ, and Christ and His Word are one and the same, right? John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. Uh, and so... Uh, I ran across this article that uh, uh, I think is, pr- is, is prudent for us and every church to, to, to adhere to and make sure that we are focused on the right things. It's t- it talks about rethinking a church's strategy for inviting the community in. Uh, Tom Rainer wrote this, for decades, many church strategies have been built around getting people in the community to come to your church. Big events, great signage, social media marketing, the attractional church. You get the picture. And he says, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with any of the y'all come approaches. Frankly, those are better than what most churches do to reach people, which is nothing. He says this, he says, most of the church growth tactics of the past half century were built on the premise of expecting people from the community to attend our churches. But these strategies were built upon an assumption that most people in our communities were looking for a church home. Well, they are no longer looking anymore. Red alert, they're no longer looking anymore. And it's mainly futile to build a strategy upon a flawed premise. He says this, the old paradigm meant that a few churches were at least seeking ways to get people to attend our churches. But the less healthy churches just expected people to show up because the church had a building and a sign. Listen to this. Listen to what he says here. As one less than friendly church member told me during an interview I conducted for a church consultation, here's what the member said. I don't even know why you're here. Say people in the community know where the church, our church is located. They can come if they want to. That was the attitude of that church member. He says, I'm glad I didn't respond with the immediate thoughts on my mind. He says, though it sounds basic, the essence of the Great Commission is to go. Everybody say go. The Great Commission does not say to develop the best events and build the best facilities so people will naturally come to your church. He says, on the contrary, it says get out into the messy world and culture where we live. Show the love of Christ to people in that culture and tell them the good news of Christ. And guys, I've been saying this and been harping on this, at least I know for the last five to six years, is our assignment is not just to come here and sit on Sunday, have a great time. Oh, we had a good church. Come to see me at my good church. God called all of us to move out into the culture. We've been, we are on assignment to go into the culture, to go into our neighborhoods, our places of employment, our schools, and represent Christ with the message that of his death, burial, and resurrection as the love that God shows to get us back into relationship with him. He says this necessary 
paradigm means we must be intentional about pre-evangelism. We must invite people to church, true enough. We must develop relationships with people who are not followers of Christ. And we must show people we care about them. Listen to that again. We must invite people who must develop a relationship with those who don't know Christ. And we got to show people, recall that we care about them. Amen. And caring is, is exemplified in how we relate to people. Amen. Listen to this last part. And, and, and I want you to think about it because... Each one of us individually has to think about what's been my approach to evangelism? What's been my approach to the Great Commission? Is it just come to church? Let's build another building. Let's build this so many people can come. Or we should, we should be engaging in the culture. He says this necessary paradigm means we must be intentional about direct evangelism. You ought to have evangelism on your mind. When you wake up in the morning, you all think about how can I... How can God use me on this day to reach somebody who does not know him? How can God use me on this day to encourage somebody that you can make it? How can God use me on this day to encourage somebody that somebody cares about you? That God loves you. That that I don't care what, what you've been through. I don't care what your family said. I don't care who told you you were no good. God loves you. With all his heart and mind. And so he loved you so much that he gave his very best. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have what? Everlasting life. He says we must provide evangelistic training and tools that our members will actually use. We must have prayer ministries that focus on evangelism and opportunities to share our faith. And we must share the gospel. He says the necessary paradigm means we must make sure our members are biblically grounded. And guys, as your pastor, that's why I harp on on sound biblical teaching and preaching. That's why I harp on discipleship training, getting connected to the teaching ministry of your church so that when you speak, you're not speaking from your cultural perspective, but you're speaking from a kingdom perspective. You're speaking from what the word of God has told you about you as a kingdom citizen. Amen. And we began to share that way. He says this. Uh, the, he says, our team at Church Answers surveys the church members in consultation to help us understand the attitudes and beliefs of the con- congregations. The survey, this survey called Know Your Church has been eye-opening. Listen to what he said. He says, around 40%, listen to this, around 40% of the active members we surveyed since the COVID quarantine do not believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. 40%. It's because the culture is now infiltrating the church and telling the church what the church should believe. He says, these members have deleted John 14 when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That's what Jesus said. Am I right about it? They deleted Acts 4 and 12 from the Bible too. And you can read it when you get home. He says, you will not have the motivation to tell people about Jesus if you think there's, there are several other options. If you think there's several ways to get to God because you haven't read your Bible, then you, you, you're not going to tell people about Jesus. It says, more, most of our congregations were structured to get people to come to our churches, but the Bible is clear that our mandate is to go to them. Until we get that right, our churches won't grow and they will not be healthy. It's time. It's time to go into our communities instead of simply expecting them to come to us. That's why I, I, 
My heart gets elated when we do an event like VBS, where we go out into the community and say, hey, come. We want to invite you to come and spend three days of us being big kids. Amen. Uh, having fun, blessing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, learning about him, and, 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 and watching our kids and adults uh, throw, throw, throw caution to the wind and say, God, I want to praise you like I ain't got no sense this week. Anybody in the house? See, when we're in VBS, see some of y'all, some of y'all stiff Baptists. We're raising your hands and watching the kids enjoy the, 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 the song praise ministry and getting them involved and learning. And here's the beauty of it, guys. We had 18 young souls who said, I want to know about that Jesus. Is that awesome or what? And as a matter of fact, I think we may have miscounted. There's two more we need to add to that list. So there's 20 that made a decision. And I told, I, I told them all week long, listen, if our first and second and third graders can learn about learning ABCs, we can go to the honors program and say, my child is smart. They're smart enough to know about Jesus. Can I get a win? If they're smart enough to know who Big Bird is, do they still watch Big Bird? I don't know if it's Sesame Street still on the... On, on the, on the y- y'all got to help me because my, 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 my youngest one is 22 and graduated. Glory be to God. <laughs> Glory be to God, amen. Because he's still in my hip pocket. <laughs> Trying to get the certification. He's get, getting all the certification. He's going to be a pilot, y'all. He already is. He already is. And if y'all have flown lately, we need some pilots. So the job market is real good for him, Andre, right by now. All right? But guys, going out into our communities, let's get to the text. Can we go back to where we left off? We've been talking about the, uh, the spirit of generosity, and we left off uh, sharing some things with you. And I want you to, if you will, real quickly, let's go uh, back to... Uh, mm, Let's go back to, um, go, go back to, if you will, uh, to, Gen- well, I don't want to go back to Genesis. We'll go back. Let's go back, if you will, to, go to Luke, the 16th chapter. I'm gonna, I want to start Luke 16, chapter, verse number one. Now, again, remember I told you, when we start this series on the spirit of generosity, I told you, if your heart is not conditioned correctly, the word that you receive will not produce fruit in your life. The parable of the sower, which he just gave, was very clear in the fact that the results that is produced from the seed, which in the parable, the seed is what? The word of God. The ground which it falls upon is the condition of men's hearts. And that's why you can come to church for 15 years in a row, the same two people sitting next to each other, one grows and the other one doesn't. You're sitting there getting the same word, both of you saying amen, but one is not growing because of the condition of their heart. And it's how you receive the word of God that's going to determine what kind of impact it has in your life. Amen? Because I used to get frustrated as a pastor when I was younger until I realized grown people will do what grown people want to do. And if grown people's hearts are not conditioned to receive the word of God as it is God's word, then that word will not produce the fruit that the Bible says it's capable of producing. And in that parable of the soil, Jesus told us that those three types of soil were not productive, but the fourth one was, it was the good ground heart. The heart that says, this is God's word, 
This is not just some fellow from Benton, Louisiana who played football or who's in a tech. This is a guy who's been called by God to give me the unadulterated word of God, and he's going to preach it, amen, soundly, doctrinally correct. He's going he's to share with me. He's not going to sugarcoat it. He's going to love me through my mess. But give me what I need. How many of y'all growing up to mom and daddy made you some vegetables? How many of your mom and daddy said, okay, no, 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 no. It's not going to be cake and ice cream every day. You need some peas. Greens. Hello, somebody. Hot water cornbread. Chicken baked and fried. You need something that's going to be healthy for you. And as your pastor, guys, listen, I could tell you all day long about the goodness of God, but I also got to tell you about the cross of Christ, too. See, everybody wants to know about the goodness of God and the blessings of God, but we got to all carry our cross, and we'll see that in just a second, okay? So we, we jump into this text. Now, we, we begin talking about uh, the spirit of generosity and how it's a, it's a mindset. It's a, it's a way of thinking about life to the point to where uh, we realize it's not just about money, but it's about us taking on the image and the likeness of God that he created us in. Remember in Genesis, the Bible says, let us make man in our image and our likeness. So our God, our father is a giver. Am I right about it? He sold love the word. He did what? He gave. So if our father is a giver and we are born of him, then it's incumbent upon us to take on the characteristic of a giver, of a giver, of one who has a spirit of generosity. Are y'all with me today? Being generous, being, being open to God, letting God use whatever we have to advance his kingdom principles. So we talked about the fact that, that and Brother if you can pop this word back up there, we, we, said, we said stewardship matters. And we said, I gave you a word, it's called okonomia. Okonomia, if you can put it, okonomia is the Greek word from which we get our English word economy. But it literally means household management. And the principle is this. All that we are and all that we have belongs to God. And he has temporarily entrusted it to us to oversee according to his riches. That word okonomia means economy. It's household management. Everything that we have, everything that I have belongs to whom? Let me say it again. Everything that you have and everything that I have belongs to whom? No, no, no. Let me say it again. If you're a born-again believer, everything that you have, and I'm a born-again believer, everything that I have belongs to whom? Well, I thought it was just the 10% that belonged to him. No, no, no. See, this is, that's where you miss it. If you, are bo- if you are bought with the price, then you belong to God. Glorify God in your body and your spirit, which both belong to God. So that word means, it, 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 it literally means household management. We are managers over God's household business. That means that if I am a manager, if I am a steward, then that means that I have use and possession of something, but it doesn't actually belong to me, Saniah. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. So if it belongs to God, then he has the ability to tell me what to do with it. Can I get a witness? You know, uh, 
I, I think I shared with you guys, I, 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 I share lessons that I learned through my career in banking because I think God allowed me to, to travel that course to prepare me to do what I'm doing here at this ministry here today. And one of the things that, that, that as a banker you discover is that when, when people bring you money to handle for them, it's not your money. It's their money. And we have to give Yvonne, an accounting of our stewardship over that money that's placed in our bank. Can I get a witness? And, and so whenever you come for an accounting, uh, uh, you, you, you don't want to come and you don't want to get a statement. Or you, if you do, how many of y'all do online statements? How many of y'all get paper in the mail statements? Anybody do online statements? How many do paper in the mail statements? You know, everybody's trying to get you to, 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 uh, to do it online because it's cheaper for them because, you know, to mail a first class stamp is what nowadays? How much is a first class stamp? See, some of y'all ain't mailed something in a long time. How, how much is a first class stamp? Somebody. I get 50 over here. I got 58 back here. 58? Is fi- how many say 58? How many of y'all don't know? Okay, good, good. That's good. You, you, you good. I, I didn't know. I really didn't. Last time I checked, it was 40 something cents. All right, but 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 think about it for a second. If I can get you to get it online, then that saves me as a banker from having to mail it out. All right, so that's why that's why, in case you haven't noticed, everybody's trying to push you to do online statements. They're trying to push you to do it electronically because it saves money. All right, but the, but, but the fact is, if that statement comes in the mail and it's not the right accounting based off of your stewardship, then there's going to be some problems. That's going to be a situation and a circumstance. Would you agree? If you thought you had 15000 and when the statement came, it showed you had $2,545.12, that's going to be some issues. I can see some of y'all right now. The bank ain't even mobile. You, you shouldn't have right there. I can't wait till this open. I'm getting it. I'm going to go and talk to that doll Adam fellow. He took my money. I supposed to have 15000 I got $2,448.12. That's what the statement says. An account of my sister. So, so we're, responsible. we're responsible for that which we manage that belongs to somebody else. We are managers over God's household business. Now, I told you, the concept of stewardship as it relates to generosity is found repeatedly throughout the scripture. And we said... Uh, we said, first of all, the areas of stewardship is, number one, our time. The Bible talks about redeeming the time. Making the most of every opportunity that God gives us to represent him in the earth realm. Our time. Now, listen, I gave you all a challenge three weeks ago. I hope you're still doing it. Evaluating the use of your time. Getting to places on time. Getting to church on time. Church starts at what? 10 a.m. I told you the other week, you cannot roll up on the parking lot at 9.59 and 35 seconds and hope to get out of your car, walk from the back parking lot, come through the front door, wash your hands with, y'all still washing your hands? Uh-huh. Uh, I, I, see, I see hand sanitizer all over the place now. You used to couldn't find it when COVID first started, could you? But now you just, it's, it's on sale now. Wash your hands. But anyhow, to be on time, you got to be there before 10 because it starts exactly at 10 o'clock. And that, that's one of the beauty of, 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 that came out of COVID is that we start church on time. 
at 10 o'clock on the dot, right? All right, so, so our time. The next thing we said was what? Our, our, our spouse. And then, then uh, we, we, we left off at that point. Then today we're talking about our property. Go to Luke 16, verse number one. Let's go. Luke 16, verse number one. The text says this. Thank you, Jesus. Are y'all still with me today? All right. It says, Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're going to be fired. Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. Next verse says what? Let's read. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. Sound like old blue, son. Too proud to beg, Danny. Danny, you ain't too proud to beg it. Look at Connie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's keep, keep moving. I just, you was in my line of sight, Danny. I'm sorry about that. Oh, and I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. Notice what he says. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? Verse text says this. The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to what? To 400 gallons. Can we keep reading? He says this. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to what? 800 bushels. Next verse says what? The rich man had to, had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of life. Text says this, here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Next verse. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest in greater responsibility. Let me clue you into what he's saying right here. When he says faithful in little things, little things, as it talks about here, deals with monetary resources, physical possessions. That's little stuff. That's small compared to things of eternity. And what Jesus says right here to us as born-again believers, as he gives this parable that has puzzled a lot of people over the years, why would he commend this dishonest steward? Why would he commend this dishonest manager? Well, and, and we'll get into it in just a little bit, but one of the reasons why he does it is because this dishonest steward was preparing for the future. And what he's saying is many of us as born-again believers don't spend enough time focusing and preparing for the future. Are y'all with me? He says, if you're faithful in little things, money, money is small in the eyesight of God, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, money, material possessions, you won't be honest 
with greater responsibilities. Verse number 11, let's read together. It says what? And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with what? The true riches of heaven. Let's go to verse 12, let's read. And if you're not faithful with other people's things, huh? why should you be trusted with things of your own? Now, guys, that, that's critically important because he's, he's telling us if, if I'm not faithful with another man's possessions, I'm not going to be able to be trusted with my own. Look at verse number 13. One that wraps it up, he says what? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, can we, I need all of us to say this out loud on purpose. You cannot what? Serve both God and money. I need us to say it again. Ready? Read. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, Jesus said four things, and I want to make this middle note, I don't have this on your notes, but Jesus said four things about the unjust steward. First of all, the steward was charged with embezzlement. In other words, he was wasting the Lord's good. First thing he said was, the steward was charged with embezzlement. You hear the term embezzlement, that means that you, you, you misappropriate, you mishandle somebody else's funds. He was, he was charged with wasting the Lord's goods. The steward was in charge of the Lord's property, of all the Lord's goods. Therefore, it was easy for him to use the goods for his own purposes, just as he desired. Now, I, I shared with you a few weeks back about one of the best stewards that the Bible ever talked about was a fellow by the name of Joseph in Genesis, the 39th chapter. The Bible says even Joseph, when he was sold into indentured servitude, uh, was performing at a very high level. In other words, it didn't matter that, that his brothers had sold him. It didn't matter that, that he, he probably had some family wounds from his brothers being so jealous of him that, that they wanted to kill him, but instead of killing him, they sold him into indentured servitude. He ended up in the Potiphar's house in Egypt, and, and, and the Bible says the Lord was with Joseph, and whatever he did, even as a steward in Potiphar's house, God calls it to prosper. What are you saying, Brother Pastor? Well, it doesn't matter where you are. If you learn how to trust God and know that God is with you right where you are in the job, right where you are, while you're trying to get out of that place, God says, I'm here with you right now. I need you to trust me right where you are because I'm trying to do some things and work some things out of you because I need to use you, but I can't use you because you're all messed up right now in some areas. I know you think you will... You deserve better. You want to go a little bit higher, but I got to do something to you right where you are before I release you up here. Because if I allow you to go up here with, with that messed up stuff on the inside of you, then everybody's going to see you when you blow up. See, when you see people mess up royal, that didn't just start when they got on the, on, on, the, on the stage nationally. That stuff was percolating beneath the surface way before then. But, it, but, we, but we didn't deal with it. Anytime God allows the cover to be pulled off of our mess, it's not to embarrass us. 
it's many times to save us because God has already told us and told us and told us, but we wouldn't listen to him. He told us, told us, he, he even called you to, to come to church on Sunday and your pastor told you, but you got mad at the pastor for delivering you the message that God sent down from heaven through him out to you. So he says, since you won't listen to me, my servant, or the person I put in your space to talk to you, then I gotta, I, I'm going to step back and leave you to your reprobate mind. A reprobate mind is a mind that's void of judgment. Are y'all with me today? A mind that's void of judgment. And so God, God, Joseph was here in this place, uh, but he, he prospered so much so that Potiphar put him over everything he had in his house. He didn't even know what he had. All he knew was since Potiphar's been running the show, since, since, not, since Joseph has been running the show, my, my business has, has blown up. Since Joseph has been in my house, everything is turning out well. Well, you know, the devil gets busy when you start doing good, right? How many of you know the devil gets busy when you start doing good? When you start prospering, when, when God starts using you in a mighty way, the devil gets busy, right? I don't know why you all have been out of shape and mad and, and, and just frustrated because the enemy came knocking at your door. He's going to come knocking at everybody's door who's doing the work of the world. Lord, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall do what? Shall suffer some persecution. Powerful wife keep, tried to get with him. I told you about she was a cougar, right? <laughs> do y'all know what a cougar is? Since he, since he wouldn't go there, he ran. He ran from sexual immorality. You have to run from sexual immorality. You don't pray your way through it. You run from it. That's what the Bible says. Got accused of rape, thrown in jail, went to jail, and he was, God was still with him in jail to the point that when he was elevated, he was running the whole jail. He was running the jail. And then interpret the king's dream, went to the palace, and he was second in charge of all of Egypt running the country because the Lord was with him. What I'm telling you is stop making excuses for yourself and start trusting the God in you. Stop whining and complaining about where you are and say, God, I thank you that I'm not where I used to be. Because how many of y'all remember where you used to be? How many of y'all remember where your marriage used to be? But thank God for the touch, saving grace of Lord Jesus Christ and his mercy and his grace that came in and now touched your hearts and now you're doing pretty good. May not be where you want to be, but it ain't where you used to be. Are y'all with me today? So, so, so the steward, let's get back to our story. <laughs> y'all can tell I, I, I got to stop missing church because if I miss church, I get fired up. The steward was charged with embezzlement, with wasting the Lord's money. Every one of us have been gifted with resources, with talents, with gifts that God wants us to use to advance his kingdom agenda. The second thing Jesus said, the steward was required to prepare a final accounting. Now, two facts are important in this point here. First of all, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord in this story hears that the steward has been misusing his good. Now notice, the Lord only heard about the embezzlement. The full evidence against the steward was not yet fully known. The Lord gave the steward a chance to prove 
his trust, and his faithfulness. And I will tell you that God has given every one of us in here a chance to prove that we trust him and that we are faithful to his calling. He's given every one of us in here a chance to prove that we trust him. Because how many of y'all know it's easy to say, I trust, I will trust in the Lord. I will trust in the Lord. I will trust in the Lord till I die. Die. I will trust. I will trust in the Lord. I will trust in the Lord till I die. I'm going to stay on the battlefield. I'm going to stay on the bat. We sing that, but then the moment adversity comes, the moment something don't happen in the church that you remember that you don't like, you quit. But you're going to stay on the battlefield. The moment something is preached that you don't understand because you don't understand it because you're not in the word of God and you're not praying, you're not studying. So the carnal-minded man cannot perceive and understand the things of God. Go with me right quick to 1 Corinthians. Watch this. 1 Corinthians. Some stuff you ain't understand because you're not spending time in prayer and studying the word. All right? Go with me right quick. The first, first Corinthians chapter number two, first Corinthians two, um, verse number one. I think that's where I want to go. No, no, verse number th- chapter three, chapter three, verse number one, chapter three, verse number one. See, that, here, here's what I'm trying to get you to understand. If, if we're going to be faithful stewards, if we're going to be uh, make the most use of our time and opportunities. If we're going to uh, learn how to utilize what God has gifted us with our property, our financial resources, and use it the right way, we're going to have to. Tr- we got to have a paradigm shift. We got to. We got to change the way we think about life. We got to learn to let the Word of God, the true, unadulterated Word of God, change the way we do life. Now, hear me carefully. I know that it can be tough to do things differently than what you've already done. But the question I ask you, how is what you're doing working for you? Let me ask you, ask you again. How is what you're doing working for you? I would challenge you to get into the book and start doing it God's way and see what, God, see, see what kind of results you get when you're consistent and trusting in God over a period of time. Watch what the text says. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth, says, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as, as I would to what? Spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants or babies in Christ. Can we read on? It says what? I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger and you still aren't ready. Who is Paul talking to? Born again believers in a church that's in the, in, in the region of Corinth. And he says, there is some stuff I want to talk to you about, but I can't talk to you because you're spiritually not developed. You're spiritually still a baby. He says, and you still aren't ready. Look at verse number three. Let's read. I would, I would, I would, and I submit to you 
that, that I love every last one of y'all, but some of y'all aren't ready to move any farther than where you are right now because you won't, you won't engage in the spiritual growth process that God says it's incumbent upon you to engage in in order for you to go deeper in me. Some people don't want to be inconvenienced. They want Jesus as long as Jesus doesn't inconvenience them and force them to do something different than what they've been accustomed to doing. But I told y'all, and I'm, I'm telling you again, my job is not to make you comfortable here. My, God, my job is your pastor is to feed you some cornbread and greens when you want cake and ice cream. And my job is to give you pure, unadulterated word to the point to where if, if you're not living the word out, you're going to get uncomfortable because you're going to think I'm talking about you. And the Holy Ghost here is talking to you through me. Amen? And so I, I, I learned how to take it a long time ago. You can call me whatever you want to call me. I'm still going to smile and preach at you and hug you. Dude, I love you, man. So good. See, I know you've been talking about it, but dude, I love you, guy. Girl, man, you know, come on. Let's, we, we, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, no, but you got to stop cussing at your husband like that. Yeah, no, 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 no. Because here's the word of God says. You got to learn to respect your husband, too. Oh, I know you got to take over spirit and you got to get the administration. That's good. But you, you also got to learn to yield to the authority of your husband. Well, now you're meddling, Pat. No, I'm not meddling. I'm just telling you what God says. I love you, but you bossy. Some husband over there like, keep preaching it, Pastor. I ain't going to say nothing, but keep preaching it, Pastor. Uh-huh. Notice what he says, guys. Look at what he says. You, he says, for you are still controlled by your sinfulness. He's talking to the church. He's writing to the church. He's writing to born-again believers. He says, you're still controlled by your sinful nature. How do you know that? Well, you're jealous of one another. You quarrel with each other. You're fussing and fight. Doesn't that prove you are controlled by your sinful nature. So if you find yourself as a born-again believer always being argumentative and being jealous of someone else who the Lord may be using, what sense does it make for me to get mad at another church because the Lord is, is growing that church and, and they're growing faster than we are? So because they're growing faster, and I start talking about them. That's asinine. If they're doing the work of the ministry and people are being saved and they're being discipled and they're growing, more power to you. Because see, sometimes you have to be careful what you ask for. Some of y'all ask for that 5,000 square foot house, but you only want to clean the, the, the four, 400 square foot bedroom you're in. Child, <laughs> I... I know I asked the Lord for this, and I said I was going to use it for the kingdom, but you know, it's a show is a whole lot of house clean. <laughs> greater gift is greater responsibility, right? I don't envy the guy who pastors a 10,000-member church. I really don't, because you don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Now, bless God, some, some, some of y'all who, uh, who, who, who've been, been out for a while, some of y'all don't know half the people in here now. I mean, some, some of you have been members here for a long time because God has brought new people into the fold. And, 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 
And now that we're coming out of this COVID thing, we, we, we're going to have to get to know each other even better. And part of that responsibility is to, is, is to, is to live in authentic community, which I'm trying to get you there, but some of y'all are fighting tooth and nail. Because you think, well, he, did, he, he ain't, ain't nobody going to control. I ain't trying. I'm just saying do what the word of God says. Watch this. For you're still controlled by your sinful nature. You're jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove you're controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like people of the world? Can we keep going? He says, what? One of you says, I'm a follower of Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. Aren't you acting just like people of the world? Got your favorite preacher. Got your favorite teacher. And if they're not teaching the preacher, you're not coming. That's immature. Watch this. He says, after all, who's Apollos? Who's Doyle Adams? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered, but it was who? God who made it grow. Look at the next verse. It says what? It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed do what? God makes the seed grow. So it's all about God. So Paul says, there's some things I want to tell them, but I can't tell them. These things are spiritually discerned, and you can't know them in your own um, in your own strength because it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through you. So let's get back to our text in Luke 16. So the steward was required to prepare a final accounting. Third thing, the steward knew he was guilty and was unwilling to change or ask for mercy. He was unwilling to change or to ask for mercy. Now, if you will, let's 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 jump back because I, I want I want to. Here's the gist of what Jesus is trying to tell us. He commends this guy because this guy decides to make preparation for his future. And don't miss the point of this, of Jesus' commendation. He was not commending him because of his dishonesty. He was commending him because of his preparation for the future. And most people live in the right now. And we don't think about what the future holds from a spiritual perspective and from the standpoint of, of, of us learning how to do life uh, the way God says do it so that we can be a blessing to the kingdom of God rather than, than, than a hindrance to the advancement of God's kingdom. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that I, I shared, and I, and I read this here, um, and I, I want y'all to hear, hear my heart on this. You know, um, most of us, if we're honest about it, live this Christian life from a, an Americanized version of Jesus. What, what do you mean by that? Well, I, I, was, I, was, I was doing some reading uh, in this book called Emotional Health of Discipleship, and, you know, Peter Scazzaro, which we did a couple of his studies. And he said something that, that really struck my heart. He says, the relationship of the church to the broader culture has been a challenging issue since Jesus began his ministry. He said, today, Western culture dominates our landscape, and because the United States exerts an enormous amount of influence because of our economic might and political power and because of movies and music and technology and communication, we have influenced Western culture and the rest of the world disproportionately. He says, to Americanize something is to cause to acquire or conform 
to American characteristics or to bring something under the political, cultural, or commercial influence of the U.S. United States of America. And within the church, within the church, he says, within the church, to, America, to Americanize Jesus is to follow him because he makes my life better and more enjoyable. And I thank God, when you come to Jesus, people say everything's going to be all right. When they say that, understand something. Everything will be all right because I'm, my eternal destination is now sealed because Jesus Christ saved me and the Holy Spirit seals me to their redemption. That's good. But when he say everything's going to be all right, that don't mean that everything in your life is going to be peaches and cream. And somehow or another, when things aren't peaches and cream, we think God has failed us. When that was never the biblical version of what discipleship looks like. Watch this. Uh, so, uh, so he says, even if you are from outside of the United States, there's traces of this Americanized Jesus can be found in churches around the world, in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, all over. The challenge is, watch this. The challenge is most of us are so immersed in Western culture, if not American culture, that it's hard for us to recognize how Americanized our view of Jesus really is. What makes it particularly difficult to identify is that it looks so good, feels so good, and does so much good, or so we think. He says, so what does following an Americanized Jesus look like? Well, it's subtle, so we'll begin looking at what an ancient version of this feel-good discipleship looks like in the life of Peter. Y'all remember this? Go with me right quick to Matthew, the 16th chapter, in verse number 22. Matthew 16 and 22. Now, guys, hear me carefully. It wasn't until Jesus was at least halfway through his ministry that he clearly explained to his disciples the importance of the centrality of the cross of Jesus Christ, the cross of Calvary to his life and, and his mission. Halfway through his ministry, now he begins to say, now listen, okay, we're going through, we're healing folks, that's good. I'm raising the dead, that's good. And people are attracted to that. Some of them are attracted to Jesus because of the miracles he did. But now he starts talking about the cross. Are y'all with me today? Look at, look at Matthew 16, 22. But Peter, when he says, I'm going to the cross of Calvary, I got to go, I got to die a sacrificial death on the cross, I'm going to be crucified. Third day, I'm going to be rose again. But Peter took him aside and began to rep. Here we have Peter, Kathy, reprimanding Jesus for talking about the cross. See, many of y'all are following for the miracles, but you don't want to carry no cross. Many of you are following for the blessing. And, and, and when the blessing ain't coming like you think it ought to come, well, I didn't get that job. I don't have this amount of money. I don't have this house. I don't have, see, see the Americanized version, it's all about, we, we call blessings, you know, having money, having a big house, having a job that we want. Hello? And if, if we got all that, then God is good. All the time, God is good. Well, he was good when you were on your sick bed. Doctors, doctors couldn't relieve you, but God came in and touched your body. And he was still good when, when your loved one died and was healed on the other side. His goodness didn't change, but because we have an Americanized version of Christianity, we think God ain't good if everything ain't clicking on all cylinders. He says, watch Peter. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. 
Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Is that what he says? This will never happen to you. Now watch what Jesus did though, okay? Watch this, next verse. Jesus turned to Peter and said immediately, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. At this point, <laughs> when we get to this point in this, in this, in this text, in G- Peter following Jesus, Peter only understood half the gospel. And like so many of us, he was Christ-centered but not cross-centered. Peter, was, Peter had, has a high view of Jesus as the Messiah. He is captivated by him as the miracle-working, triumphant Savior. Peter truly wants to follow Jesus. In fact, he's left everything to follow him, but he wants to follow Jesus who avoids, not embraces the cross. And I will submit to you that many of you sitting there listening to my voice right now, you, you want to avoid the cross. Hello? You want to avoid the, 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 what, what, what the cross represented, bearing burdens, learning how to persevere through life's situations. Because I'm here to tell you, uh, listen, I love God. I've, I've been saved since my going into my 11th grade year in high school. And, but, but on this journey of faith, there have been some challenges. And I will submit to you, as one writer said it, he says, I don't know if you can really be trusted to carry the true message of the cross of Calvary in Jesus Christ if you had never been through anything. I don't think God can really use you like he wants to use you until you have been through some stuff. Because see, some, some, stuff, some, some, some stuff is not going to be burned out of our character until we go through a life trial or a situation. How many of y'all have had some situations? How many of y'all can attest to me that say, Pastor, we had... You know, whether it was in marriage, whether it was in your work, you may say, Pastor, it was rough when I went through that. But when I look back over my life, that was the teaching moment. That was the thing that transformed me like nothing else that I ever had. I, got, I had blessings. I got new cars, got a new house, but that didn't change me. As a matter of fact, it made me worse. But when I went through that test, when I had to go through that dark valley experience, when I had to learn how to trust God, even when I couldn't trace him, then now I understand that he is real. I understand that he's trying to transform me. So with the Americanized version of Christianity, it's, it's all blessing. It's yes and amen. God don't ever tell me no. How many of y'all know God need to tell us no? How many of y'all look back at your life now, you pray for some stuff, you're like, mm, God, I thank you that you didn't answer that. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you didn't give me him. Have you seen him? Have you seen her? I prayed for him to be my husband. I prayed for her to be my wife. And Lord, I thank you for not answering that prayer. Anybody in the house? Anybody thinking about somebody right now? you like, see, when you're in love, you can be real stupid. Everybody plays the fool sometimes. If you're under 40, you don't even know anything about that. But guys, listen, God, 
here, God will take us through a purification process. And many times, it, it's, it's, it's like gold being tried in the fire. See, when gold is tried in the fire, the impurities begin to rise to the top of that melted gold. And then the, the goldsmith comes along with a skimmer and swoops the impurities away. But until that gold was, pers- was, 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 was heated up in that fire, those impurities wouldn't come out. And some stuff ain't coming out of your little nasty self because you had not been through enough stuff. But let God take you through the fire and the, the I'm going to tell you, God has to, to take us through the fire. Some stuff ain't going to come out until we go through something. But see, you don't want that, you don't want that cross. You want a Christ-centered gospel, but you don't want a cross-centered gospel. Because Peter, Peter's like, no, 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 Lord, that ain't, no, no. Jesus stepped in and said, get behind me, Satan. See, Peter holds fixed culturally informed about the ideas of how God works in the world. And those ideas, those ideas that Peter had at this point in his life made no provision for Jesus going to the cross and being crucified. See, your provision of God may be such that you, 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 you don't, you don't, you don't, you, you, you know, if, if, if it ain't going the way I want it to go right now, if I didn't get that job, I didn't get that blessing, I didn't get that money, then God ain't good. Some stuff God is saving you from. I thank God he saved me from myself. And some things that you're going through in your life, you still have to learn how to trust him through that process and know that he is a God who loves you enough to discipline you. So let's get back. Third thing I want to, you know, the, the, the Lord hears that the steward had been misusing his goods. See, Peter only knew half the story here. But I'm going to tell you, there is a cross involved. As, a, as the song says, no cross, no crown. There's some things that we're going to have to go through and bear up under and trust God to see us through it. Trust him in the midst of it. So third thing, Stuart knew he was guilty and was unwilling to change or to ask for mercy. Get back to Luke 16 with him right quick. Watch this. And let me say something about Peter, too, because, you know, Peter was not curious. He doesn't ask Jesus questions in order to learn something new. He simply becomes agitated and defiant. How many of y'all that way? When God doesn't do what you want to do, you become agitated and you become defiant. You quit church. You get mad at everybody who's telling you the truth. He got agitated and defiant. Rather than saying, well, God, what, what, are you ta- what do you mean going to the cross? Explain to me, Jesus, what that means and why is it necessary if you do that? No. He's like, no. You ain't going to do that, Jesus. Just got, just got, how many of y'all have you ever got ahead of God like that? <laughs> Trying to tell God what's best for you. He's the one that made you. Am I the only one? I'm trying to get ahead of God. I'm trying to tell God what's best for me. And he's the one that made me. He's the one. He's the alpha and the maker, the beginning and the end. He knows the future. He knows what's going to happen 30 years from now, and I'm looking at stuff right now. Peter was defiant. See, God does not have a problem with you asking him questions, but he does have a problem with you questioning him. And at this point, Peter was questioning him. He didn't ask questions to find out more. Some of y'all hear, hear a word and you don't ask questions to find out more because, because you stuck in the way you've always thought about life and the way you've done things. 
It's time for all of us to change. It's time for all of us to let God continue to transform us into the express image of his dear son. And we got to learn how to do that, amen, and do that with a spirit of humility. Say, God, I don't know everything, but teach me. God, I don't understand why you're walking me through this right now, but Lord, I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to trust you even though I don't understand you right now. The steward knew he was guilty and was unwilling to change in the actual mercy. And the fourth thing, the steward decided what to do. He, he, was, he forgot the Lord. He didn't, he didn't ask for mercy. You would have thought he would have. He'd been working for this man all his time. He could have said, Lord, just have mercy. I messed up. I stole. I mishandled. Well, in other words, I mishandled your, your money. And then to cover my mismanagement, I went and, and did something to secure my future. And what he said, what Jesus commends him for is the fact that the people of this world would take monetary resources to try to secure their future. And what God is saying is how we handle monetary resources and, and how faithful we are with that is a determining factor on what we're going to be entrusted with as it relates to eternity. You think it's just about, this is a sermon about generosity and just giving, because I've been challenging all of us in here to do something generous for someone. And it, this, this, that, that has not went away. When you learn how to be generous and do it the way God wants it done, it's going to help all of us get better in, in walking with the Lord. Let me, let, me, let me wrap this up. And on next week, we're going to talk about our spiritual gifts. We'll talk about God's truth. And we're talking about our bodies. Those three things on next week, our spiritual gifts, God's truth, and our body. All those things uh, we, should, we should exercise prudent stewardship over. Those things we should exercise along with the thing we're talking about, our property, but our spiritual gifts, God's truth, and our bodies. Your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. Take care of it. Don't take it in and everywhere. And we'll talk about that on next week. But this steward was committed because he prepared for the future. How many of you are preparing for your future? How many of y'all are preparing for life after death? You know, we, we had two, two soldiers who are members of this church who went home to be with the Lord this week, Deacon Charles Hardiman and Brother David Simmons. God transitioned them. And they're no longer here on this side. But the good part about those two brothers is they made preparation. They prepared for this day, that day a long time ago. And I thank God for that. Because it gives me great solace and great comfort to know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I believe that. I don't know about you, but I believe what the Bible says. And because I believe what it says, it impacts how I feel. Well, is there sadness there? Yes. Is there grief there? Yes. But it doesn't over, overwhelm me because I know that the Bible is true. And my God does not lie. And God released and healed them. Just took both of them like that. And we're going to celebrate that like it ain't nobody's business because the Bible is true. Now, how prepared are you? How willing are you to suffer for the cause of Christ? How willing are you to let God change the way you do life, change the way you think about life? 
change the way you think about people, change what you've been doing in life. I will submit to you that the vast majority of Christians aren't willing to let God continue to transform them. You only want to go so far. And God says, for me to use you like I want to use you, I need you to get out of the way. I need you to start preparing for the future. I need you to I need, you to, I need you to let my word have its perfecting work on the inside of you. I need you to spend some time with me studying, studying who I am through my word. I need you to spend some time with me in prayer. I need you to get serious about being a transformative agent in the earth realm. Because too many followers of Christ are just okay with just being okay. And God says, I need you to be better than just okay. I want you to do back, be like the Apostle Paul. Paul ran so hard for the Lord. Just like he ran when he was a sinner, persecuting the church, he ran just as hard for the Lord once he begot, became a born-again believer. How prepared are you for your future? How prepared are you for your future? How, how prepared are you? Are you ready to let God transform you? Or are you going to stay stuck? Jesus gave his life. Is every head bowed by close?